0: If you have your Bibles, please turn in them to Proverbs chapter 2. text is also printed on page 5 and 6 of the bulletin. As Tim said, we will be embarking on a very long two-week series in this chapter. Uh, We're going to divide it in half. We're going to take the first 11 verses this morning and then the next 11 next week. But we're going to read the whole chapter uh, together this morning. Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you, understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inherit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. You may be seated. And as you do so, let us go together before the Lord, the God of all wisdom, asking for him to give us his wisdom as we approach his word. Our great, immortal, invisible, only wise God, we come to you, as James has told us earlier, to ask of you to give us wisdom. We need your wisdom. Daily, we need your wisdom now as we open up your word. Would we see in it the words of life that we have heard sung about? The words that you will provide wisdom, that you will graciously give it to us as we seek it in you, and that we will find your wisdom to protect us from all the sin and the folly that so easily seeks to destroy us. God, may my words be faithful as your your preacher. We pray that your people would hear to the glory of your name. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. In our modern times, safeguards have become a critical and essential part of everyday life. Safeguards help to keep important things like our identity, our finances, and other critical information protected. Their aim is to prevent such critical information from falling into the wrong hands or being used for purposes that we have no intention of them being used. And as annoying as it is, I personally find it extremely annoying to have to change my passwords every month, it is vital to keeping that information guarded, protected, keeping us secure and stable in this very digital and unstable age that we find ourselves in. But safeguards aren't limited only to the digital dangers or the digital threats. Seatbelts are safeguards in the prote- to protect in the case of accidents. Door locks, security systems are safeguards in the case of an invasion. Baby locks, outlet covers are safeguards to keep your ever-curious and cute toddlers from sticking their fingers in the sockets and then you got to take a quick trip to the hospital. They offer protection and safety in a world where protection and safety are far from guaranteed. And according to our text this morning, which is the urgent pleading of a father to his son, we find that wisdom is also a safeguard for the people of God. This is one of the great values of wisdom for us, his people. This is what the Father is seeking to emphasize to His Son. Security and protection are offered in His pursuit of wisdom, or if we could put it more bluntly, God graciously protects His people as they diligently seek His wisdom. God graciously protects His people as they diligently seek His wisdom. So wisdom then, God's wisdom, is a safeguard. It is what God supplies to His people And it's what will secure them against sin and folly that we read of in the second half, which we will come to next week. As I said, we're going to divide this study into two parts. And obviously, we could just take this whole chapter as one. There are 22 verses, and it hints at completeness, because does anyone want to take a guess at how many letters there are in the Hebrew alphabet? 22. It's the Father's not-so-subtle hint that these words I'm telling you are sound, they're comprehensive. And these two halves even mirror one another. There are two four-verse stanzas followed by a concluding three-verse stanza. You could almost take the entire chapter as a letter from the father to his son, where we have an intro in verse 1 through 4. Then we have the body of the letter in 5 through 19, following by the conclusion in 20 through 22. But all that said, of justifying why we could do it in one week, I'm still going to do two weeks. Because I do think there's value in us slowing down our engagement in this text. For today, it centers on the protection that is offered in our pursuit of wisdom. Next week, we'll cover in those last 11 verses that what exactly it is that wisdom protects us from. And spoiler alert, it's from evil and sin and folly. So come back next week when we talk about evil and sin and folly. But for our time, we're going to look at the protection of wisdom in three... Points. We're going to take those three stanzas and break them down. The first is the pursuit of wisdom. Then the provision of God. And finally, the production of character. And we start what the Father does with this pursuit of wisdom in verses 1 through 4. Wisdom is not going to magically appear overnight. There is no get-wise-quick scheme that the Son can embark on to suddenly wake up and be wise. If the son is going to find protection that wisdom offers, he must commit himself to finding wisdom. But thankfully, the father is here to direct his pursuit by laying out the path, laying out the conditions, without giving any explicit commands. He doesn't say, son, do this, son, do that, but instead he he gives an if-then conditions. We see three, if you, statements in verses 1, 3, and 4. This is the father directing the son's path. He's painting the signs. He's marking the miles. He's telling him to get off at this exit. He doesn't want him to miss it. There's much for the son to gain, and there's much at stake. He is impressionable. He's not set yet on the path of life. He could very easily wander onto not only another path, but the path of death, the path of destruction. And there's much for us to gain and much at stake for us as well. We might think we're we're a little less impressionable as the sun, but we're not. We might think we know the dangers better than the sun, especially if we are more advanced in years, but we do not. For how often do we find ourselves tripping and falling over the same sin and folly day after day? over and over again. So all of us need to hear these pleading words of a father to his son to adopt this instructive and corrective approach to wisdom. And so the first condition we see that the father gives is a posture of humility. Look at verses one and two. He says, my son, if you receive my words, treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. These verbs here, receive, treasure up, make attentive, inclining, they're not necessarily action words. I can't tell you to go do these things and visibly watch you act them out. But instead, they reflect the condition of the heart, the posture of the will. The son must become and remain a student in the school of God's wisdom. Now, say what you will about the recent overproduction of Star Wars movies and shows. I still watch them. I'm a sucker for them. But one thing that's consistent throughout all of the eras is there is an emphasis on no one is above the need to learn, to grow in wisdom. Luke stands to learn, even after he's become a Jedi. Yoda, the greatest master of all, must go and seek more wisdom when he is in exile. He's the one who told a former apprentice, I'm not going to use the voice, though I do practice it at home, that much to learn you still have. And the son also, much to learn still has, as awful as that grammar is. And so therefore he must be open to the teachings of his father. He must be ready to soak them in, to apply them as he hears them, as he receives them, as he puts them into practice. He cannot start from a posture where he thinks, you know, dad's kind of outdated. I think I've outgrown his wisdom. Maybe he's got a few more things to teach me, but for the most part, I know it all. I got this under control. No, he needs to keep sitting at his father's feet, learning from him, hearing his words, hearing his commands, not because his father is some sort of guru, not even because his father is advanced in years and has been there and done that, No, it is because the Father's wisdom that he is imparting is the wisdom of the Lord. He is leading the Son, not in his own ways, but in the Lord's ways. For if you were to look at the entire book of Proverbs, wisdom is defined as right knowledge that leads to righteous living. And such wisdom can only be found if the Son, if you and if I humble ourselves again and again again and again before our Father. And so young people this morning, I would encourage you to humble yourselves before those who are seeking to instruct you in the Lord and in his wisdom, namely your parents. And praise God if you have parents who have been doing this faithfully for three years, 12 years, 18 years, maybe even 20, 25 years. Receive and treasure the instruction that they are giving you from the Lord. And then, parents who have a role to play in the lives of younger children, which, if you are a member of Christ's church, that includes all of you, whether you have children or not. We should seek to pass on this kind of wisdom true wisdom, academic knowledge, sports skills, technical expertise, while certainly important and helpful. They cannot compete, they cannot compare with the Lord's wisdom that the younger generation stands to gain through you. So seek to instruct it and teach it faithfully, but also sit humbly and learn yourself at the Lord's feet because you need that wisdom too. The father then moves then into a second condition in verse 3 where he he essentially puts humility into practice via prayer. Look at verse 3. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. This picture of calling out and raising one's voice are classic prayer words in the Old Testament. We find the same words on the lips of Lady Wisdom as she cries out emotionally and passionately for all to come and to learn from her. So, the son, as he receives, as he treasures, as he learns from his father, it's supposed to motivate him to desperately cry out for more. If it's leading him to complacency, if it's leading him to think that, mm, I think I've got enough now, I don't need any more, something is terribly wrong. Wires have crossed. He needs some correction. Such crying out, such prayer, we heard earlier read when Josh read James chapter 1. Where James tells the church, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. The pursuit of wisdom requires us to cry out to the Lord. It demands that we swallow our pride and admit that we need some help. We're not as wise as we think we are. We don't have it as together as we think or we want to believe we do. We, or maybe just me, as human beings are more tempted or, or not to, to do almost everything except cry out to the Lord in prayer when we lack wisdom. We turn to scripture, very good, keep doing that. We see godly counsel from good friends and family, again, good, keep doing that. We even put into practice those things that we've heard, all good things. And yet we never think in those moments to go and to ask for wisdom from the very source of where it comes from, the immortal, invisible, God-only wise. So tell your heavenly Father that you lack wisdom. Ask him to give it to you graciously. For as James would also write to the church, you don't have because you don't ask. So ask God regularly and humbly to grant you the wisdom that you need. Cry out to him, call out, for that wisdom. And the last condition we see is another progression. Humility leads to prayer, and then prayer leads to to diligence or commitment. We see this in verse four, where the Father says, if you, the last condition, if you seek it like silver, search for it as hidden treasures. The son just can't sit and be a student, just read books all day and pray. He can't become a monk. He needs to diligently commit himself to pursue wisdom. He has to give his time to it, his energy to it. He has to be preoccupied with it. The language of searching and seeking should draw our minds to Luke 15. Not the third parable, the parable of the two sons, but the first two parables. The parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep. Remember, what does the woman do who loses her coin? What does the shepherd do who loses his sheep? They seek no rest until that lost item is returned. The woman flips her house upside down to find it. The shepherd leaves the 99 to go find the one. This is what it looks like to seek and to search for wisdom. It can't be willy-nilly or haphazard. The world, the flesh, and the devil are too enticing. The dangers are very real. It must be an all-out pursuit. We must treat it like we're searching for a great and wonderful treasure because we are. That's what wisdom is. So may we heed our Father, our Heavenly Father's words to give ourselves fully to this pursuit of His wisdom. And so then after establishing the conditions, the ifs, the Father in the remaining verses of this first half gets to the thens, the consequences. What will happen if the Son pursues wisdom? And the first if we see is in verses 5 through 8, it's the provision of God. And what an encouragement this would be for the Son and for us. Our pursuit of wisdom is not going to be in vain. We will get wisdom and all of its blessings. But we need to remember Such blessings might not be what we expect or even what this world values and esteems. Notice the Father makes no guarantee that the Son will find wealth, success, health, or prosperity. He's not gonna get to the top. He's not gonna be promised a long life. And sadly, this is what many in our day do or think they're doing when they seek wisdom. It's simply to get them a leg up on the competition to better themselves financially, socially, and the like. In their minds, wisdom is only as good as the promotion that I can get from it. James has some pretty harsh words about that kind of wisdom in James chapter 3. He calls it earthly, unspiritual, demonic. He says it's nothing but jealousy, selfish ambition, and boasting. And it will provide chaos, exhaustion, and folly. But the Father makes it clear that, the wis- that what the Lord provides is something far better and more satisfying when His wisdom is pursued. And the first thing we see is what one com- commentator calls true religion. It's what the Lord provides when he seek His wisdom. Look at verse 5. He says, Then you, if you seek, if you receive, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. This is true religion because it reflects the religious blend that we see throughout the Old Testament. The people of God are meant to have this awe of God, which also develops this intimacy with God. We can read that blend if you turn back a page to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, where in the prologue, Solomon declares the theme of the book, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. To fear the Lord is to know Him, and to know Him then is to fear Him. The two are inseparable. They work together. And such fear and knowledge is what the Lord promises to graciously give His people. It is an intimate and personal relationship with you that flows out of our obedience to Him. Here, God is worshipped rightly for who He is and what He's done. Here, God is known not theoretically, not through abstract facts, but covenantally in relationship. No, the son may not gain what the world says he needs. He may not even gain what he thinks he needs or what he desperately wants. He'll gain something better. He will gain the Lord himself. He will know intimacy with the Lord. He will gain... What another commentator says is that affectionate reverence by which a child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. And you and I are offered nothing less than this. As we pursue wisdom, the Lord promises to provide himself a deeper knowledge of who he is, a deeper awareness of how great and awesome he is, that we may worship him and also draw near to him. There is nothing better. There is no greater payoff. All the treasures of this world, all the accolades and the praises, all the pleasures that are promised and held out to us cannot hold a candle to a growing awe and in intimacy with the creator of the universe, our Heavenly Father. But second, the Father doesn't stop there. Not only does the Father provide true religion, he provides true wisdom. He gives us the very thing that we desperately cry out for in verse 3. He says, for the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And again, James promised this very thing to the church when he said, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given. God alone is the source of wisdom. Without Him, there is no wisdom. And He alone can and does provide the wisdom that His children need. It's a pretty easy and straightforward transaction. Wisdom pursued (laughs) means wisdom provided. There's no fine language. There's no disclaimers. If you seek wisdom, God will give it to you. And note, this wisdom, it's different than the wisdom that is there commonly, through common grace or through general revelation. There is a distinction the Father is drawing. Without a doubt, wisdom can be learned. Wisdom about God, wisdom about the way He has ordained things and, and, and sustains things can be found by observing creation through natural law, through the law written on our hearts as Paul says in Romans. The Father is not in any way diminishing this or pushing this aside. But he is saying that the wisdom that God promises to give, it finds its source in in the the mouth of the Lord. It is the wisdom that flows from his word that has been spoken to us. It is the wisdom that comes from what we professed earlier from Psalm 19. Where we said words like law, testimony, precepts, commandments. This is why the Father says to obey my commandments, my instructions because he's faithfully teaching the Lord's commandments, the Lord's instructions. We see the promises that God will provide the wisdom for his children that is revealed in his word as they seek it in his word. How kind of a father is he? He doesn't send us on a wild goose chase saying, good luck finding that wisdom. Let me know if you can find it. He says, no, it's, it's right here. Find it here, and I'll provide it for you there. This then should call us and even motivate us from the youngest to the oldest, those of us who have this memorized, to those of us who have only opened it a few times in our life, to search for and study the wisdom found in Scripture. In these words, we find the provision of God's wisdom for his people. In them, we taste his goodness and his gracious and abundant wisdom provision for fools like us to grow in wisdom, to come to and learn from his school of wisdom. And then third, we get to the the underlying theme of the Father's words here. The Lord, his final provision is protection. Verses 7 and 8, those last two verses are all about the protection that comes from the Lord through wisdom where it says, the Lord stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, watching over the way of his saints. We don't have time to look at each one of these word pictures, but all of them give a different glimpse or a different side to the security that the Lord provides through his wisdom. There's a place to hide in in calamity. There's a lamp to our feet, a light to our our path when our path is nothing but darkness. There's defense and being kept all the days of our life. And it's for we, his saints, as he closes with. And that's the driving point in these two verses. Who is it who stands to be protected by this wisdom? It's his saints, his people, those who walk in uprightness, those who walk in integrity, those who walk in blamelessness those who put wisdom into practice. And we'll look at again next week at the specific things that we are protected from. The perverse men, the forbidden woman. But for now we can simply summarize it as God is exercising his great care over us through his wisdom. Great care is what insurance agents and insurance agencies claim to offer us. Think of State Farm, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You get the protection of their great care as long as you pay your premiums and meet their high standards, and then you really can hope that when calamity hits, you're covered. But thanks be to God that His protection has no such pretenses. It's yours if you belong to Him. It's yours if you humbly seek it in His Word and pursue His wisdom there and ask Him to give it to you. No, it's not going to make your life easy or struggle-free. It's not going to be some magic bullet that's going to solve all your problems or remove all the dangers and threats in your life. But it will keep you. It will keep you on the path of life, outlined particularly well in the first nine verses of this book. It isn't just chapter 2 where the father is pleading to his son. It's chapters 1 through 9 where the father is pleading to his son. The wisdom of God will keep you as you keep it is the circular argument that he's making. So fear the Lord, know the Lord, receive the wisdom from his mouth, and then walk boldly under the banner of his protection that he so greatlessly provides to you, his people. And lastly then we get to the second consequence or the second then that the Father gives in verses nine through 11, which is the production of character. The protection of wisdom is not simply from the top down, as wonderful as it is that God graciously gives us his wisdom to protect us. We need such guarding, we need such keeping. But we see that this protection, this wisdom also works from the inside out. As wisdom is internalized through the conditions in verses one through four, it yields something within the student, within the son it produces something. And the first thing we see it produces if verse 5 was true religion, verse 9 is true ethics. The Father says, then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity, every good path. Again, we find this same trio one page back in Proverbs 1-3, where Solomon says, this is why I'm writing this book, that you may know righteousness, justice, and equity. And to put it simply, the father is promising that the son, as he pursues wisdom, he will get success. But true success, that is right conduct in a crooked world. He will live differently. He will look differently. He will function differently. He may not get the praise of men. Actually, he probably won't get it. He may not get wealth or health, or the things that we in our culture often associate with success. It is instead behavior that is informed by, grounded on what is objectionally, objectively right and true. On what will serve both the individual and the community. And I don't think I need to press too hard into how badly we need such true ethics in our day. Sadly, ethics are more a matter of convenience than conviction. Discerning what is right, what is just, what is true are rarely the standards for anything, let alone success. They're not what people are seeking to grab hold of because they're not what people are seeking in the first place. It is why ethics, righteousness, and justice are so easily tossed aside or ignored altogether. There's no value seen in them unless it brings, again, we come back to an advantage. But the father tells his son that the advantage comes in knowing and walking on every good path. And as we'll see next week, this path is not only desirable, but it's safe. It's the path that leads to life. But this yield is not merely outward showing in true ethics. It's also inward, and in that genuine character will take root within the son. Look at verse 10, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Matthew Henry writes, this is when wisdom not only fills the head with notions, but enters into the heart and has a commanding power and influence. Wisdom becomes almost second nature to the Son. As it sinks deeper and deeper under the Father's instructions, it promises to take root, to sprout, and then to bear much fruit in the life of the Son. It aims to change His heart. It offers to replace the wisdom of this world, the Son's own fallen wisdom, with the true and lasting wisdom that the Lord Himself has. It makes us more like God, It offers to replace our empty and filthy cisterns with true delight and satisfaction that comes as we grasp hold of the joy of the Lord found in His Word, more valuable than gold, sweeter than honey. It actually, wisdom and the pursuit of it becomes a delight, not a burden. It becomes a source of satisfaction, not frustration, which sadly we often think comes with pursuing wisdom. We think it's a buzzkill but there's delight in it. So this should be encouraging to us. Yes, the pursuit of wisdom will be strenuous. It will call us to work against our sinful and our foolish nature, which we don't want to admit we have. But it will bring about life and delight in us. It will even transform us. It'll transform this pursuit into a life-giving and joy-filled one as we find ourselves conformed more and more into the image, not of this world, but into our Savior Jesus Christ, who the New Testament calls the wisdom of God. For He was the Son who learned wisdom by pursuing it with all diligence. He embodied that perfect and true religion and true ethics, loving God with all heart, soul, mind and strength, and then loving His neighbor as Himself. And we'll find that in Him our hearts are renewed, they're changed by the power of His Spirit, We're given hearts that truly do long for him, long for his word, long for his commandments, find delight in walking in them. We find that obedience is actually a joy. There's pleasure there. So it's not a stretch to say this pursuit of wisdom and all of its blessings is nothing short than a pursuit of our Savior, Jesus Christ, of walking in the path that he has tread for us, the path that he calls us to follow him in. And it's found as we follow and grow in him, and by his power and his wisdom, he produces within us this character by which we reflect him more and more each day. And then naturally we get to the internal character, just like God's wisdom protects us, We see this in verses 9 through 11. Wisdom, as it becomes second nature, as it takes root in the heart of the Son, will guard him. It will secure him. Notice, if you will, in verse 8, we find the same word, I mean, verse 11, we find the same words in verse 8. Watching over, guarding. He's making two arguments on the same point. Just as the Lord's going to protect and safeguard his people, so the wisdom that is budding up and taking root in the Son will guard and protect the Son. The Son will be able to and can rely upon his growing character to lead him and to keep him on the path of life. We'll see that next week. But for us this morning, we should see that character has great value for us. And that our desire should be to live that righteous and ethical life. Character does far more than make us a nice person. It makes us somebody that people want to be around. And it reaches far greater and far beyond just the support that people look for in the voting booth. It works to prevent against both the internal and the external corruption that is around us. Today's passage is focused on the internal. Next week will be the external. Character is what keeps us on the path of life. Not so that others can see us and say, wow, look at their character. Isn't it wonderful? Or to celebrate us, to tell us how great we are. But to protect us from those things, that sin and folly that we so easily are entangled by, distracted by, and even destroyed by. The production of character within by the wisdom of God keeps us walking in the way that our hearts now truly want to go and where we find true joy and delight in. Which then brings us all the way back to the pursuit in verses 1 through 4. We should all long to see such godly and righteous character being produced in us, and we have the way to do that in verses 1 through 4 to pursue God's wisdom. So we should be encouraging one another to seek wisdom, knowing that this is where character in all of us gets produced, where it takes root and grows. We should be instructing one another to walk in integrity in every area of our lives, even when it's hard or it will be to our disadvantage. So again, young people, not to pick on you this morning, but as many of you get ready to start another school year, whether it's in college, high school, middle school, elementary school, I would plead with you as the father pleads with his son. Particularly to seek to have this character produced in you by seeking and pursuing wisdom. It might not make you popular. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and say it's not going to make you popular. It might get you some insults, because obedience to the Lord always gets insults from the world and those around us but it will protect you. It will keep you. It will keep you from stumbling and falling like many of your brothers, and sisters here have stumbled and fallen over the course of their lives and would desperately not want to see you do the same. It will keep you from sin. It will keep you from folly. It will keep you on the path of life which which far too many have wandered from to their own destruction and to their own shame. But it just doesn't apply to young people. This is for all of us. We all need wisdom. We all need the protection that it brings. We all need to grow in character. We need that character producing in us as we do so desperately pursue and cry out for God's wisdom to be given to us. And we have the promise that we can find it in the Lord. Wisdom is our safeguard. It is there to protect us as we faithfully pursue it. Because God graciously protects his people as they diligently seek his wisdom. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Father, we hear you, our Father, pleading with us, your children, in these words, to pursue wisdom. We need wisdom so desperately, even within your church. We need the wisdom that you promised to provide us. And so we ask for it. From the youngest of us to the the greatest. Everyone who is involved in ministry to our leaders. God, we ask for you to give us your wisdom. And then we look forward to how you will grant us that request. And then work in us individually and collectively. To make us wise. To grow us in character. To make us more and more like your son in whose footsteps we desire to follow, in whose ways it is a delight for us to walk in. Help us by your spirit. Forgive us for our folly. Lead us in the paths of wisdom. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.